The scripture today is from Habakkuk, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. The oracle that the prophet Habakkuk saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not listen, or cry to you, violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see wrongdoing and look at trouble? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law becomes slack, and justice never prevails. The wicked surround the righteous, therefore judgment comes forth perverted. I will stand at my watchpost and station myself on the rampart. I will keep watch to see what he will say to me and what he will answer concerning my complaint. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so that a runner may read it. For there is still a vision for the appointed time. It speaks of the end and does not lie. If it seems to tarry, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Look at the proud. Their spirit is not right in them, but the righteous live by their faith. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. may be seated. Exciting day today, the day before Halloween. I don't have many trick-or-treaters left here in the room, but how many of you, confession time, have a bag of candy ready to pass out to trick-or-treaters and may have already dipped into it a little bit? <laughs> Maybe a lot. It's hard to wait. Harder for some of us than others, isn't it? Today's scripture is about waiting. We hear that and we say, oh boy, waiting. It's no secret that none of us likes to wait. We see it all around us every day. You are in traffic going somewhere and all of a sudden traffic is stopped in all lanes. And it isn't long, is it? before you see someone zip around and try to use the emergency lane. They just can't wait. They've got to be first. Or maybe you walk into the break room at work or your kitchen at home, and you go to put something in the microwave, and you see that there's still like five or six seconds left on there from the last time someone used it. They put it in for the full two minutes, but then they just could not wait till the end, right? We've all done that. What is that urgency in us that does not like to wait, just can't stand to wait the whole period of time? If it's bad for little things like traffic and a hot pocket, then it is even worse for the things that matter, isn't it? For the big things, it's even harder to wait. The scripture that was just read from Habakkuk is from a person who was having to wait for the big things, for justice, 
for an end to the violence. And this kind of scripture is what we call a lament. It's a kind of writing that cries out to God, where the speaker pours their heart out to God. You heard him saying, how long, God, how long? The speaker is holding God accountable, waiting for an answer from God. In fact, he says, I'm just going to sit here until God decides to speak. He makes a place on the rampart, a high up place, and said, I will just wait until God decides to speak. And when God speaks, what did God say? When God finally spoke, God said, there is still a vision for the appointed time. It speaks of the end and does not lie. If it seems to tarry, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. When God finally speaks, God says, wait more. Wait more. Well, that doesn't seem right. When there's something important to us, we rush it, don't we? We say, well, that's important, put a rush order on it. Or we say, this is big, go, go, go. We've all gotten used to Amazon. Now, if we're told we have to wait a week for the package, it's the end of the world, isn't it? <laughs> If something's important to us, we say, rush it. But God works differently. This is a God who rests for one full day of every week, no matter what is going on, and commands us to do the same. This God is not in a hurry. This is a God who prophesied about the coming of the Messiah way back in Isaiah, and it wasn't until we got to the Gospels in Matthew, Mark, and Luke that it actually happened. It takes a long time. This is a God who, after the crucifixion, hung out in the tomb for three whole days before the resurrection, while all the disciples were saying, something's got to happen. God just took God's time. This is a God who is still taking God's time while we wait for the next coming of the Messiah and wait and wait and wait. For every time that we say, put a rush on it, God says, this is too important to rush. I have given birth three times. Our first two kids, the boys, came really quickly. Like, so quick we didn't make it to the right hospital quick. But the third, our daughter, did not come quickly. I had been in labor the whole day and still nothing was happening. And I was starting to panic a little bit because this didn't happen to me. It happens to other people, but not to me. What did this mean? In fact, as the evening came on, the nurses seemed a little bit worried, too. And I recall that they called the doctor in and they said, nothing's changing. We're giving her all the drugs, the Pitocin, everything. It's not moving things along. It isn't progressing. And the doctor said, well, 
some babies don't like to be rushed. <laughs> and I thought, well, some mamas would really like things to hurry up a little bit. She said, back off the drugs, don't rush the baby, give her some space, and see what she'll do. And something about her confidence, her calm, her presence of peace made me trust it. So we did. And the night wore on. And as my husband snored peacefully from the couch, <laughs> and I waited in that awkward position you have to wait in because you can't fill your legs, I realized there was sort of an archaic sense about it, something that somewhere in my DNA remembered this waiting that I never do any other time. There was a holiness to it. There was a sense that this was a kind of sacred preparation for everything that was about to change. All those hours, they weren't wasted and they weren't empty. They were a part of what was coming next. I wonder, can we give God time to work? Can we back off and see what God will do? This skill that can be developed to give God space and time we sometimes call attending to kairos time. There's the structured time that we have, the seconds and minutes and hours, but kairos time is the time that God works on, that doesn't have to do with seconds and minutes and hours, weeks, doesn't have anything to do with the calendar. Instead, only has to do with the right time, the appointed time, when things are ready. Can we attend to that kind of time? To stop treating God like he's in some sort of cosmic hot dog eating contest. More, more, more. Go, go, go. And instead, see that God is much more like a master craftsman. Working slowly, carefully, with precision and finesse. While we are waiting, there is a danger we have to be aware of. I asked you a minute ago if you'd broken out the Halloween candy, opened up the bag a little earlier. Sometimes we do that with presents. We try to sneak a little peek before it's actually Christmas Day. Now that's a different kind of rushing things. That comes from an anticipation of the delight and joy and pleasure, right? But there's a different kind of rushing that is not because of that. This kind of rushing and hurry comes from a place of fear. It comes from a place of fear. Fear makes us do something else. It sometimes causes us to start to lose faith. Fear sounds like maybe God's not coming. This kind of rushing sounds like maybe God's work won't happen in time. 
we start looking around, thinking maybe we need to start taking matters into our own hands, pushing them along, manipulating them. Or we start looking around trying to rationalize, trying to logic our way into thinking that the way things are, or the way we make them, must have been God's plan after all. That may sound confusing, so here's an example of this. Do you remember Abraham and Sarah? Remember them? Father Abraham had many sons. The backstory on that nursery song is that Abraham and Sarah were very old and childless, not by choice, and God came to them and said, I want to make you the parents of many generations, more numerous than you can imagine, and I'm going to make this happen so that they can be a blessing to everyone else. It sounded amazing. It sounded wonderful. Abram and Sarai, as they were known then, said, yes, sign us up. But then time passed. In fact, a lot of time passed. Abram was 75 when God came to him with this idea, and now he's 99. In the course of that time, it had started to seem like maybe God wasn't going to work, or maybe God needed a little help <laughs> along the way. And so Abram came up with all these plans and schemes to try to fit the reality that already was into what he thought God was trying to do. You remember the story that he ended up um, taking on one of his slaves as his wife and uh, trying to make that into God's plan, and it didn't work. In fact, it was a mess. It's as if Abram said, well, close enough, but it wasn't. Maybe this is why the oracle says, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so that a runner may read it. We need it in big letters, front and center, so that we don't start feeling like we need to push things, or we don't start looking around and saying, well, we can kind of twist this to be God's plan. This looks close enough. Because if we're being honest, church, we've done a lot of saying close enough and settling for less than what God intended. We have done a lot of accepting less than God's intentions for the world, than God's vision, just to avoid the discomfort. We have accepted sexism, acting like women can't know God as much as men. We have heard our neighbors talk like that and we've just let it pass. We have accepted racism, treating some people differently because of the color of their skin or who their ancestors were, supporting systems or letting them go that hold those people down. And we've acted like it's normal. We've said, well, close enough, just because it's better than it was. It isn't close enough. We have accepted all sorts of economic systems into how we work as a church looking at the numbers and the dollars instead of focusing ourselves on the Spirit of God because we were afraid of what would happen if we let those things go. We have given ourselves to quarrels, to disputes and divisions that have made us into bitter, mean, hateful people instead of people 
filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's not good enough. It's not close enough to what God intended, and yet we act like it is. And we try to justify it. And still, Scripture keeps holding up that sign of the vision in big letters, calling us to remember what it is God intended. The psalmist held up the sign and said, Steadfast love and faithfulness will meet. Righteousness and peace will kiss each other. Faithfulness will spring up from the ground, and righteousness will look up from the sky. Isaiah held up the sign that said, The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Paul wrote it in big letters when he wrote, There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Jesus, when he read the scroll, called out in big letters, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You know it and I know it. We've settled for less than that, haven't we? We've said something far less than that is close enough. Don't settle. Don't stop here. Don't accept something that is not God's vision in the name of progress. We have to keep our eyes on the vision, and when we look around us, be willing to say, this isn't it. This isn't what God intended. And we're not going to accept less than what God intended. We'll wait. We'll wait. We'll wait for God to accomplish what God set out to do. The other part of that is that we have to be willing to say to those around us, we'll wait with you. Those people, our neighbors, our friends who are hurt most by the injustices that we see around us. There are too many Christians who look at those and try to fit it in somehow to God's plan. Well, this is all a part of what God's doing. It is our job to be willing to say, no, it's not. And we'll wait with you until God accomplishes the justice that he has promised. That's the calling that Habakkuk felt on his life, and it's the calling that's placed on us. And God's question to us today is, are we willing? Are we willing to wait? Are we willing to not settle? Friends, I promise you, what God's working on is worth the wait. Let us pray. Lord, it's hard to wait. You know that about us. And so we ask you to strengthen us, to give us patience, to wait on you, 
and courage to accept nothing less than your intentions. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.